Hello, and welcome once again to the podcast. My name is Jeff, also known as Dad, or for the purpose of this show, Dead. And I'm Sam, also known as Daughter, and also known as Slaughter. Welcome back. This is, of course, the Dead and Slaughter Dad and Daughter Horror Show. And this is episode four, where we are going to discuss... The Shining. Sam? It was it was a big build up, but what do you think? Was it? Uh, it was definitely a wonderful film. It was very scary, but I slept afterwards. So okay, that's good news. So yes. we're we're gonna be allowed to continue the podcast. I have exciting news, though. As I said last time, uh, this is going to be our first episode where we're going to have a guest. So let me take a moment just before we get into our usual uh, bit of uh, discussing the film of uh, taking a moment just to introduce our guest. Our guest today is Courtney Baker. Courtney is an EMT who works at Denver Health with me. And um, a few months ago, uh, I came across a book that was sitting on a shelf in the emergency department, and it was a book on horror films. And when I asked around who the book belonged to, it belonged to Courtney. Turns out Courtney has been taking courses as part Part of uh, what is it uh, that you were t- you studying for, Courtney? It was honestly just one of those get the credits out of the way. Okay. Course. So it was an and, extra course that she was taking yeah. on horror films. And so we got to talking. I mentioned that uh, you, Sam, were uh, becoming very interested in horror films. And we started chatting about uh, horror films in general. And I thought that Courtney would make an excellent guest for this podcast. So Courtney Baker, welcome to Dead and Slaughter, the Dad and Daughter Horror Show. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Now, Courtney uh, has also seen uh, The Shining, so uh, Sam, why don't you begin with uh, a synopsis of the film for those listeners who might not have seen it, or who might not have seen it recently. Okay, so the film is about Jack Torrance, who is trying to be a writer, a husband, and a father, and is failing at all three. After kicking his drinking habit, he takes a job as the seasonal caretaker at The Overlook, a remote hotel high in the Colorado mountains that closes from fall to spring because of its inaccessibility in the depths of winter. Although he is warned by the hotel manager of a tragedy that took place 10 years earlier, where the winter caretaker seemingly went crazy because of the seclusion and killed his family with an axe before killing himself, Jack takes the job, and he and his wife Wendy and son Danny make the move more we- mere weeks <laughs> before the first heavy snowfall. Before the staff depart, Danny is befriended by the head chef, a Mr. Haloran, who confides in Danny that the two of them share a special gift, an, in- an ability to see things that others can't and to communicate without speaking. Mr. Haloran calls this ability a shining. Danny, who has not been in the hotel long, clearly has a sense of the place already because of his heightened perception and asks Mr. Haloran if the hotel is a bad place, and especially room 237. Mr. Haloran explains to Danny that the building itself isn't bad, but that sometimes bad things happen in a place, and as a result, the place becomes tainted because of those events. But he also warns Danny to stay away from room 237. Time passes and we see Danny explore the deserted hotel on his big wheel, at times confronted by the ghosts of the sisters who were murdered by the caretaker a decade earlier. Meanwhile, Jack is having difficulty writing and begins to become outwardly more hostile to Wendy, though not to Danny at least at first. 
Eventually, Danny goes into room 237, and this is around the time that Jack, too, begins to encounter spectral figures in the various places in the hotel and has strange conversations with them that lead us to believe that the ghosts believe Jack to be a permanent fixture of the Overlook and must do their bidding specifically to get rid of Wendy and Danny. From here, the film descends into violence and madness as Jack pursues and tries to kill Wendy and Danny before they can escape. Courtney, I'm interested. Uh, what was your experience watching the film? Obviously, because of the pandemic, we couldn't watch it together. So what, I know. What, uh, how uh, you've seen the film previously. This was not your first time watching it. Correct. It was it's been a long time since I've watched it. I watched it the very first time when I was a kid, probably about 12 years old or so. So to rewatch it, it was still very suspenseful. I think it still got me worked up and um just nervous about what was going to happen. It was um, also trying to figure out the the different dynamic of The Shining, which Danny has, and then what's happening to Jack. And then, like, is the hotel haunted? Or are there, um, you know, just those different factors of how they work together. Yeah. Sam, what about you? Uh, we're... I, I know when we watched it together, there was a lot of uh, peeking through the fingers. Yes, I was kind of dreading this movie, honestly. It's my least favorite movie because I am absolutely terrified of the paranormal, and that's exactly what this movie's about. So it was definitely very stressful for me, and I had to watch through my fingers, although I forced myself to watch against my will because of you. <laughs> so... <laughs> Although it was a very interesting film. It was extremely eerie and moving and really just a very good, well-thought-out film. I was interested in seeing this movie for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first, because um, I've always been interested in Stanley Kubrick. Um, I enjoyed... Um, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, I enjoyed Full Metal Jacket, um, and I had heard all kinds of things about The Shining, but I didn't really know much about the film, um, but I had read the book, and so I had very much enjoyed Stephen King's novel. What I didn't know was how much the movie deviated from the book. I had not realized, I, I knew that Stephen King was disappointed with the book, uh, with the film, but I didn't know why, and it was only once I saw the movie that I realized why he was disappointed, and it was because of the discrepancy, really, that, you know, Stanley Kubrick really based this film on the novel, but he did not keep it true to the novel in a lot of important ways. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy this film. I thought this film was uh, really um, well executed and really well done in a lot of technical ways. Um, watching it... Definitely, there was uh, a lot of sense of dread. I mean, I, I knew, of course, of a lot of the famous scenes, uh, the axe through the door, um, Wendy coming across the, the typewritten novel that isn't a novel, uh, the maze. I, I knew about all of those things just because they've permeated into the popular culture. But to see them all stitched together in the film was uh, uh, definitely a treat. And Kubrick's a master. I mean, as we'll talk when we get into the actual, you know, importance of this movie in the, you know, lineage of horror films, uh, he did, a, a, I think, a great job executing this film. But it was 
surprising to me how much it deviated from the novel. H- had you read the book, Courtney? I did a long time ago, so I couldn't remember exactly how much it had deviated. But um, yeah, I did read the book a, a long time ago. But you didn't read it before seeing it when you were 12 or whatever it was. I don't think so. I think I went through a phase. I, I was a huge Stephen King fan. So I read all the books and then yeah. watched all the movies. But it was a really long time ago. Was there any scene in the movie that really kind of sort of made a lasting sort of impact on you in terms of, you know, being kind of iconic in, in, in sort of as a horror film? Um, I think the scene when Wendy's swinging the bat at him and he's just, give me the bat, give me the bat. <laughs> and then just the escalation of that scene has always yeah. Yeah. at him. <laughs> yeah, interesting. What about you, Sam? I would have to agree. That scene is definitely has given me quite an impression of it. And it, and as when we began watching, I remember you paused it and you said, okay, this is an iconic scene. Mm-hmm. And we started watching it and I recognized a few things, uh, even though I haven't even seen the movie and I only just started reading the book. I recognized a few things through the scene, throughout the scene, such as um, the novel, quote-unquote, which isn't really a novel, and how she just started losing it after she started realizing that he spent all this time writing the same thing over and over and over again. And this is where you really realize how mad he is and how insane he's becoming. And I think that really sticks with you. Yeah, there were a couple of scenes for me that um, kind of lingered for me. The first one was um, The Maze. And I don't mean uh, the maze at the end. I mean when Jack is in the hotel and he wanders over to the model of the maze. And at the same time, uh, Wendy and Danny are in the maze. And so there's this overlay of Jack looking down at the model of the maze with an overhead view of the actual maze where Danny and Wendy are in it. And you get the sense that they're pieces moving in a maze and Jack is somehow controlling it and and that impacted me. Uh, The other one that really impacted me was the whole conversation with um, Denby Grady, the the waiter uh, who is also, you know, potentially the previous caretaker ghost uh, when they're in that blood red restroom having that whole conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. they're, They're not... They're not like iconic horror film scenes in any way, but they were very, I don't know, they were very well done scenes and they really kind of like stuck with me. And then, you know, of course, Danny just like motoring along through the hallways. I mean, every time he, I mean, it was so claustrophobic and every time he came to a corner and was going to turn the corner, you just, you, you always felt like there was going to be something there. And even though there was almost never something there <laughs> when, when there finally was, it was still, you know, startling because uh, it was brilliantly uh, shot. Yeah. Behind him on that big wheel. That yeah. was really awesome. Yeah, it was it was really well done. Um, Sam, uh, when the movie was over, told me that uh, she didn't think it was nearly as bad as she had built it up to be. Is that, is that pretty much how you recall? Yes. Um, and listening to your guys' 
this podcast too is, you know, not every movie does need those jump scares to be scary. So again, I think this is another one that doesn't have those jump scares. Right. And this it's is one that just does a great job of building suspense, right? And 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 in a Kubrick way uses music because uh, Stanley Kubrick's music is always very crazy uh, the yes. music was very disturbing uh, on its own and 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 really kind of like you know lended to this whole madness kind of in thing in fact now when i when i hear drums i'm like heartbeat where is yeah. it coming from it's coming it's getting me <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just have to tell you, Cordy, Sam didn't think the movie was as scary as she thought it would be. So we were having dinner outside and I had my twins uh, stand sort of like in the shadows and hold hands. And when Samantha came out the door, they said, come and play with us, Samantha. Oh, my God. I wanted to kill you. <laughs> so that scene might have had more of an impact on her than she let on. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, let's turn our attention to um, this movie as a film and um, why it's kind of important in the annals of uh, horror films. I, I do want to just uh, touch on the you know the fact that King was disappointed in this film. He's kind of over time recanted some of his criticisms of the movie but you know one of the major departures of the film from the novel the novel is very very clear that the ghosts are real that the hotel is haunted that the events that occurred in the hotel are what make the hotel an evil place that the hotel itself is not evil by nature in the film it's never really clear that the ghosts are real. Um, it really does seem like they tried to leave much of it to the imagination and that they that they made it clear that the building is evil by nature because it was built on an Indian burial ground. Exactly. Therefore, there are, yeah. it's a curse and... It's definitely different than the novel. But the thing is, is like, you know, they went a long way to talking about, even at the beginning of the movie, they talk about the idea that, you know, the first caretaker 10 years ago, he it was cabin fever. And it's not totally clear that Jack's descent into, you know, insanity is not because of isolation and, and is because of ghosts. Um, because nobody sees the ghosts in pairs. So Danny sees the twins, but he never sees the twins in the presence of Jack or his mother. Jack sees the waiter, Lloyd, and when Wendy walks into the ballroom, Lloyd's not there. Uh, Wendy sees the um, skeletons at one point sitting in the, in the entryway, but nobody else is with her. So it's never totally clear that, in the movie anyways, that the the descent into madness is predicated by the supernatural whereas in the book it's very clear that that's the issue and the other thing that that king was disappointed by and it's the last thing i'll mention about the difference between the novel and the movie is that in the novel and i remember this distinctly jack's character is an alcoholic and it's really his drinking that comes back early in the book once they've moved into the hotel lloyd gets him to start drinking again as he does in the film but the drinking becomes much more prevalent and becomes the alcoholism is much more important and of course the other character that's never introduced into the film which is critical in the book is the boiler um, I don't know if you remember that, Courtney, but uh, in the novel, 
what ends up killing Jack is not being frozen in the maze. It's the fact that he neglects to depressurize the boiler and the boiler eventually explodes, destroying the hotel. So very, very different between the novel and, and the movie um, and was why King was disappointed. But that's not to say the movie wasn't an excellent version of the same story. I would also like to mention that in my research, I also found another reason for uh, King's inevitable disappointment was that, and something you mentioned while we were watching the movie, was that the, the novel was much more clear about the fact that Jack was descending into madness because of the paranormal, whereas in the movie, it really does seem like he's always been mad. Yeah. And he starts kind of crazy because it's exactly. Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson always looks kind of crazy, right? Exactly. And so <laughs> at the beginning, even in the first few scenes where they're at the cabin and it's just starting to snow a little bit, you can see that like something is not right with him, even though in the novel at the beginning, really everything is right with him. And it's just because of the paranormal. Yeah. Yeah. Courtney, what did you um, what do you remember about this film as being, um, you know, important as it's. Uh, you know, in in its place, because it has been recognized as one of the top twenty five horror films in, in you know in all time. Are there any things that you recall about it being uh, contributing in that way? Let's see. So this was made in, or it came out in the eighties, right? Yeah, nineteen eighty. I think um, one of the things was that being uh, with Danny being having a child have this um, ability. So similar to in The Exorcist, when a child got um, possessed by a demon, it always gives a little more fear if you involved a child. Right. And right. Um, like the scene when after he writes red rum on the wall and once he starts like, red rum, red rum, and, you know, his voice starts to get scary. Um, just the use of child children in horror film is kind of a newer thing in that time. Yeah. And and. And that whole, I mean, the introduction of child abuse, you know, early in the film and uh, uh, his, not not so much, it wasn't clear if he was possessed or not. It wasn't as clear as in the book that Tony is, is, is kind of, you know, his manifestation of his power. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's almost like what's going on with this kid. Uh, but the, the, and the twins too, the, the two girls, uh, another element of child, um, horror right there. And even the, the, the graphic image of the two girls lying, you know, basically murdered in the hallway. Again, you know, something that was not seen very much to that point and still hasn't been seen very much. What about you, Sam? What kinds of things did you find uh, in your research that uh, sort of uh, impacted, you know, your appreciation of the film? I really learned more about uh, Jack Nicholson and the director in question, the director and its his and his history with film and horror and things like the director was in consideration to direct The Exorcist, which was just mentioned, and how. Uh, Stephen King had actually wrote a draft for the film after writing his novel and the director completely neglected it, which which could also be a reason why he was disappointed with the film. Mm. And just really more about the history of the actual novel and what came to be the movie, such as the fact that 
Stephen King spent a night at the Stanley Hotel in Colorado in room 217, pardon me, 217. And he had some really interesting and spooky things happen in that room, which were, which really inspired the actual novel. Which is interesting, right? Because we talked leading into this, and I had always thought that the exterior hotel shots of, in The Shining were, were of, the Stanley. of the Stanley. Exactly. And I was very disappointed to find out that wasn't the case. I know. <laughs> it's a hotel in Oregon somewhere. On an, I think it's a hotel on Mount Hood or something. Yeah, I think it's because the Stanley isn't actually a tree line or anything. Yeah, so uh, there was an interesting thing about the room number, though. Uh, did you find any research yeah, about the room so number? Yes, so the actual room number was 217, which the Oregon Hotel had. So they decided to change it to th- 237 because there wasn't a room to the 237 to stop guests from being like terrified of room 217. And it turns out that... Um, since The Shining came out, room 217 is the most requested room at that hotel. I so read that. At the Oregon they, Hotel or at, at the, the Oregon At the Oregon Hotel. So it turns out that they need not have been concerned about changing the room number. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was, was quite interesting. Uh, a couple other things that are, are worth pointing out in this film that are make it important. Uh, one of them is that it's the first time... Uh, a horror movie made use of Steadicam, which was a technology that had really just been introduced in film. And the Steadicam was vital to capturing those camera shots of Danny tearing through the hallways on his uh, big wheel because that's what they used. Uh, They would uh, set up the Steadicam on a chair, uh, a wheelchair basically, Mm -hmm. and they would follow Danny through the hallways and the Steadicam would be at floor level just uh, so that you would really get this expansive view of the hallway and um, really feel that sense of sort of speed as he was moving through, but also that sense of claustrophobia of the narrow halls. The other thing... Dread. Right, right. The other thing that was really interesting is that people have commented that if you've watched closely, um, the architecture of the hotel in the film makes no sense whatsoever. That rooms uh, are... Doorways are located in places that couldn't possibly be there. Windows uh, are in w- rooms where it doesn't make sense. I actually noticed that immediately. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was apparently all thought out and done on purpose. And it was done because uh, they were trying to display once again that this hotel was not of, you know, normal Oh. Yeah, and so it was. It was. It was done very deliberately. Um, they built all of the sets in uh, London in the EMI studios, and um, um, deliberately made it so that if you paid attention, that the architecture was impossible. Yes. So, yeah. um, and I know I've see I see on your notes that uh, you also came across how Kubrick was not the easiest person to work with. Yes. Exactly, especially especially with actors that he didn't really like, per se, such as he really liked um, Jack Nicholson. However, he really did not like Shelley Duvall, who played Wendy. Um, and so he really made it brutal for her. She, she even said that it was one of the most difficult yeah. things that she's ever had to film. And actually, the scene with the bat and she's swinging it, that is in the Guinness Book of World Records as the scene with the most takes for a scene with dialogue 
because it, it took them 217 takes to take that scene. Well, maybe that's why you remember it so well, Courtney, yeah. because it took so long to get it right. That's why she looks so exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, I knew I had read all about how horrible he was to her and how it was a terrible experience for her. I, I, I could never understand why he cast her. If, if yeah, he, you know, I read the same thing, Sam, and I saw that she was, you know, she was physically ill yeah. from yes. filming. And and King, that was another thing about King's disappointment with the film because in the novel, Wendy's character is written to be quite strong and level-headed. Yes, although Wendy's not like that at all in the in movie. In the movie, Wendy is like kind of always on the back foot. And she really yeah. seems weak. Oh, that's a good way to yeah. put it. I mean, she does in the end come through, right? She saves her son yeah. and she, she does what needs to be done. And let's face it, I mean, she's standing in that bathroom as the axe is coming through the door. And I mean... And she's also, she's quite, she has a lot of guts. She's continuously running through the hallways where she's seeing a lot of dead ghosts and skeletons and a, even a dead body, and she's still staying level-headed. So she really does come through at the end. Yeah. But at the beginning, she really does seem frail. Yeah, and I mentioned, sorry, Court. No, I'm sorry. So in the beginning of um, film, a horror film that started, you know what, 20s, 30s, the females were always fainting. You know, females were always portrayed as weak and frail. And I think that is a part of the movie that did bother me a little bit is that Wendy did feel like that to me. Yes, she does. At the end comes through and she does what she has to do for her kid. But, you know, when she's she's just like, Ugh, like, I just have this. Yeah. I don't yeah. I can't I'm a woman. I can't. And yeah. it gets a little irritating to me by the end. But I'm glad that she does pull through and bring it out. I agree with you. I, I, I mean, it didn't, it didn't bother me per se because it was consistent with her character throughout the film. Sure. Uh, but I kept waiting for her to step it up, and then she finally did, which was good. Um, I, but Samantha and I discussed during the film. You know, it reminded me of Rosemary's Baby, which was a film we discussed last episode about the maternal instinct that mm-hmm. really kicked in, and and that was what got her to step it up was the, yeah, the all need. that mattered was yeah, her child exactly Absolutely. the need to save her son um yeah. it, it's interesting you know jack nicholson of course very storied career has done you know did many great things before that and has done many great things since um shelly duval kind of dropped off i mean she never really did anything major after that film uh and then uh, the actor who played Danny. Can we say how, what an amazing job he did? And I, ever since I've ever seen the movie, how do they get someone that young to be able to act like that in a horror film? Well, it he, just blows my mind. He only did one other film and then never did anything again. And, and it was his, his, own, his own choice. And he actually, um, as a five-year-old, they made sure that he didn't know that it was a horror film. They told him that it was just a drama, that he should just act as if it was a drama. And he only watched it till he was 16. And by then, he didn't find it scary because he knew it was happening behind the scenes. Yeah, and I think that was probably, I mean, really integral. Uh, You know, we talked about it with The Exorcist as well, with Linda Blair, about how the director (laughs) went to great lengths to make sure that Linda Blair was okay psychologically <laughs> in this filming. And was not traumatized yeah. by this. And, and here, too, we see the same thing. Stanley Kubrick, you know, making sure that the, the child actor knew that this was not, uh, or, or not making sure he did, but but 
you know, going to great lengths to explain to him this is not a horror film, this is just a drama. You know, again, it's nice to see that they did that. And, and like you said, Courtney, really extracted a, a fantastic performance from such a young child. Yes, it's incredible. I kept, I kept turning to you and being like, I cannot believe that this kid is such a great actor. Yeah. Like, that's so amazing. Bad. Yeah. Are there any other points you kind of want to get across before we sort of sum up with our last thoughts? Is there anything else you want to, you know, re- mention from your research? I wanted so. to add one thing on top of what Sam had said earlier about um, Jack's drinking. And then we kind of went into the child abuse, the scene where um, after Danny has gone into room 237 and comes out with like the, yeah. the marks on his neck and his sweaters all torn up. Um and then she, Wendy thinks that it was Jack because he does have this history of child abuse that is brought up earlier in the film of his dislocated shoulder. And um, it's like you said, Sam, that unknown of is it the abuse of the dad or is it the ghosts or what is this it's showing really us? It's just unclear. Yeah. Yeah, there was, you know, I have to say that, that was one thing that bothered me watching the movie in the film, it was never really clear to me what the motivation of these characters, the ghost characters, were in terms of their animosity against Danny and right. Wendy. You know, uh, you know, Grady, the 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 um, the waiter, you know, makes several comments about how you have to get rid of them, you know, by any means necessary. But it's never really clear why. It's not what's right. the exactly. motivation to kill them exactly. And then Wendy doesn't see any of this until the very last scene when she's trying to find Danny at the very, very end is the only time she sees any of this supernatural. Right. And then, so, and then the other question is, is, you know, I, I said before, is this cabin fever or is there really ghosts? The right. only Aren't scene, there? the only scene that really tips us off to the fact that this is ghosts is when Jack is let out of the larder because he's locked in that pantry yeah. and he's talking to the ghost and then well i think another i think another time when it was pretty clear that they were ghosts um was when the twins were standing on the other end of the hallway and danny just looked absolutely horrified as they were glitching and you could see like their actual deaths and they were saying very creepily um come play with us forever and and things like that and i think that made it a little bit more clear that they were ghosts but other than that i would completely agree yeah i just it 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 was the one thing about the film that i found sort of inconsistent and i kept coming back to and i kept like why do these ghosts care so much and and you know at the very end of the film with the photograph with jack nicholson's character in the photograph yeah i was like i what is that telling me exactly i mean what he are had we said supposed to do with that information yeah, it, it's, it's like he had said is this like is he reincarnated from the original 1927 yeah person yeah it's it's not super clear to me that was to me that was classic stanley kubrick just throwing something like throwing us a curveball that you know there was no way to interpret what that meant and how it really worked into the film and it it it, like yeah i think that scene with the bear costume and the guy in the room too like that's just to me way out there which one in the room uh the the man that's wearing like a bear costume oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. random that was so random yeah (laughs) when he's when she's running through the hotel and she sees that 
there's a man on the bed and there's uh, another man oh, wearing a... Oh, I had my a... eyes closed for that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't know what's happening. <laughs> well, we're uh, to that point in the show where we uh, give our final kind of thoughts and sort of recommendations. So I'll, I'll start with you, Courtney. What, what are your sort of take-home sort of thoughts about The Shining and whether or not you sort of think it's uh, an absolute must-see for people? Or not. I do. I do. I think it is. It's really well made. It's um, very suspenseful. And it does make you think about a lot of things and get in your head. So I think it's really worth watching. And because it is based off of Stephen King, I think it's a classic. Sam? So I would agree with that. I think it's definitely a classic. Um, Although I do think you should read the novel before you see the movie because it really does enrich the experience. And the movie doesn't exactly stay completely true to the book, so there are definitely some curveballs throughout, which means that you can still be surprised by what happens. Um, but yeah, I do think it's a, a must-see. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to be a little bit less enthusiastic than you guys. I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely thought there was a lot... You know, it's permeated so much into our culture. You know, here's Johnny and the, mm-hmm. the door. and all. I mean, there's so many sort of things that have made their way uh, into our sort of pop culture that I think it is one that everybody should see and not be terribly fearful of, even though there are some really intense scenes like going into room 237 Exactly. Um, but that being said I just you know it's not the scariest movie I've ever seen it um, it definitely it sticks with you but not in a bad way um, I definitely in terms of the four movies we've now watched I'd probably put it fourth and that's not a bad thing it's just that I think that the other ones that we've seen have really really been great exactly. this one is really good but I, I um, it, it's it, I don't know that it rises to the levels of the other ones that we've watched so far would you agree with that yes and I slept afterwards so that should tell you something <laughs> <laughs> well knowing the movies that you guys have watched so far I, I, I would put it fourth as well well, Courtney uh, Baker, thank you so much for joining us uh, on uh, this episode. Uh, we really appreciated your insights and uh, your conversation. Thanks for having me. Um, Sam, we uh, have another movie to watch, and I'm excited because it's, uh, it's another genre that we haven't gotten into. So what yeah, are we going to be watching? Sword. Yeah, what are we watching next time? 28 Days Later. 28 Days Later, the first zombie movie that we're going to introduce into our uh, litany. Now, obviously, there were many, many zombie movies that we could have gone with. Um, I personally had several on the list for consideration, including one of my all-time favorites, Shaun of the Dead. But Shaun of the Dead is more of a classic, I think, sort of a neo-zombie classic. And I know that I have friends, if they're listening to this podcast, will be like, no, you needed to watch that. But, um, you know, we decided not to go with George Romero's... uh, um, Is that Night of the Living Dead or Dawn of the Dead? I, I don't even remember anymore. At the end of the day, I decided I didn't want the shambling zombie. I wanted the sprinting zombies. And so uh, Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later. That will be our uh, next episode. And my first ever zombie movie that oh, I've ever seen. Well, so. we're going to have to educate Sam on the whole zombie premise before we uh, just throw her in. I think we might. <laughs> All right. Courtney, uh, thank you so much once again for joining us on Dead and Slaughter, the dad and daughter horror show. 
Thank you, guys. And uh, we will uh, see you all uh, in a couple of weeks' time when we have uh, 28 Days Later to talk about. Uh, bye for now. Bye.